are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. to you in just a moment my um, Kyle Drost and uh, his wife Alyssa and Kyle happens to be my nephew and we're very grateful for him and the legacy that the Lord has that he's inherited and that the call of God that is on his life um, <clears throat> Kyle is uh, um, has seen a lot and experienced a lot uh, for a young man. I don't, I don't know, what, what are you, 25, 26? 26 to 25. When you get my age, I hang on to every, yeah, you know, you're your age, yeah, I want to go up. No, I'm, I'm just holding on here, you know. But um, the Lord has called him to go to Alaska, and it's a place, uh, I, I recall talking with Kyle a few times, and um, tried to recruit him to come plant a church uh, on the eastern shore because he has a real anointing on his life, has an apostolic anointing on his life, loves and lives out the word of God with great boldness and great determination, great persistence. And, uh, and he kept saying to me, Uncle Paul, he said, I, he, he said, I just, I, I just, the Lord has put on our heart to go to these villages in Alaska. There's well over a hundred just in western Alaska that have no gospel witness, no road access. Um, there's just nothing that's there. And Kyle, you'll explain a little bit about the, the field and what it's like. But uh, God showed him something, and it reminded me of Jeremiah when he was but a youth. He was 20 years old in Jeremiah chapter 1. And the Lord said, I have anointed you and I have appointed you to the nations. And Jeremiah came back because he was seeing not as God sees, but he was seeing as he sees and as his culture sees. And Jeremiah said, I am but a youth. I can't do this. God said, look, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And he said, this is what I have for you. And then he said to Jeremiah these words that we all have to answer. And we all do answer, one way or the other, what do you see? What do you see? And Jeremiah responded to him and he said, I see such and such after the Spirit of the Lord had touched him. And God said to this to him, he said, Jeremiah, you have spoken well. And because you have seen like I see, I have sent forth my word to perform it. And so today, we're, uh, I'm really excited just to hear that it was a great word this morning uh, about what the Lord is doing and, and seeing with the eyes of faith. And so you and Alyssa are going to Alaska uh, with two small boys. One's almost four, the other's two. Uh, Kyle describes them as lightning in a bottle. Uh, 
We'll see. We're having them for lunch today, so we'll see. I'm glad we got a big house and maybe even a bigger backyard. We'll just turn them loose, you know. But I want to ask you to open up your heart uh, to them. We're about sending people, and particularly those who say, I see as God sees, and I'm willing to go to the hard places. God is raising up a generation, and I'm so proud of them, that are willing to go to the hard places, willing to see and to feel with the heart of God, willing to give according to God's word and Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, God loves a cheerful giver. And that word means, that whole phrase, it's un, without calculation, but Lord, you have me, you spend me. And we do it cheerfully as unto the Lord. So would you welcome Kyle this morning? God bless you, Kyle. We give Jesus a hand clap this morning in the house of God. Very, very thankful for uh, my Uncle Paul, Aunt Chris, uh, for receiving us and, and you wonderful people. Uh, what a beautiful area, for starters. We're driving down uh, a much less beautiful area of the city of Philadelphia. And sorry, it's no offense to anybody who lives in Philadelphia. Or maybe it is wonderful. So we, we were driving through, and uh, we got through Delaware and came across. And, I said to Alyssa, it's already to get dark. I said, it's just really pretty country. And uh, where we're heading in western Alaska is a far cry from southeast Alaska that many people are familiar with who have cruised the inner passage, places like Seward, Juneau, Haines, um, very, very port-like towns. And uh, unless you've done the cruise that goes above the Arctic Circle, the northern pass, and come down to New York City, then you probably haven't seen Nome. Nome is the end of the Iditarod Trail and the end of a lot of things. Uh, there's no roads in, there's no roads out. Uh, we, we are fortunate to have running water um, and things like that. Some of the villages that we'll be in and ministering don't have running water. And I asked uh, a village elder one time in the village of Stebbins, I said, can you explain something to me? He said, sure. I said, you don't have running water. He said, that's not true. He goes, I run down and get it every day. I said, uh, why, why don't you want running water? We don't want it. So well, why not? Nah. So okay. He goes, you know, one time they tried to put running water here, and he said, we told them we don't want running water. I said, okay. You know, village about 800 people, and the next town over is St. Michael. And, but those people received us with a potluck. And I was preaching in St. Michael, uh, a place that didn't have a pastor, church opened up. Now it does have a pastor. Thank God for that. So thankful. It's an answer to prayer. There's a retired couple who's loving that village of 400 people. And we were preaching in the morning at St. Michael. And we went over to, when I was preaching, I, I mentioned about moose ribs, you know. And uh, so I, I mentioned, you know, man, you know, it's, it was around September. It's a time that they get moose. And you really just love moose ribs and, you know, moose backstrap. And, and so when they had a potluck, somebody came in with a big old plate of moose ribs and put it before me. And I said, oh, thank you so much. And they said, no, you're gonna eat it. I said, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll eat it. And they sat there and just watched me eat these, these moose ribs, That's, you know. So it's different, different culture, uh, one that we're blessed to be uh, called into. And uh, I, I believe that God knows very well exactly 
what he's doing in this last hour of time before Jesus comes back. And uh, so Nome is the end of the Iditarod Trail. Um, it is a hub town that services the Bering Straits region. We are 104 miles away from Russia and 539 miles away as the crow flies to Anchorage. No roads in, no roads out. And if you woke up this morning in a village like St. Mary's, if you woke up in a village this morning like Ambler, uh, we'll take St. Mary's as the first one I mentioned, you'd have to go down the Yukon River. Um, some would have to get into a plane to go to Bethel, a plane to go to Anchorage, rent a car to go to uh, an Assemblies of God church like what, what we're sitting in this morning. And uh, there are churches on the Yukon River. There are churches in Bethel. And uh, we're thankful for those who serve and who are doing such great things and things like that that we're a part of. But to think that people can live their whole entire lives and never hear Jesus and his plan for them. I was one time we were in Alaska, my wife and I, we took our one year anniversary and we were in Seward and then we went up to Anchorage for a couple days. And uh, we were in town and some guy, he goes, well, who do you work for? And I'm a little bit of a, a jokester every once in a while, unfortunately, some, at some people's expense. And I said, uh, I work for Jesus. And he goes, oh, is he new to town? I never heard of him. <laughs> I guess he is new to town. <laughs> I said, you know, the gospel, the cross, the Bible. No. So uh, it, 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 it came to me, well, how do you share the gospel with someone who's never heard the gospel before. So I said, you know, I said, when we pray for people and God does miracles, oh, yes, God. He says, he doesn't do miracles, though. I said, I've seen cancer eradicated out of people's bodies. I've seen marriages restored. I've seen families come to whole. I've seen lives turn around. He goes, no, God doesn't do that. I said, my God does. There are people in the USA who have never heard that Jesus has a plan for their lives, that he loves them, that he cares about them. And I mentioned this in the early service uh, today, that we are the only quote-unquote religion on the face of the earth that I'm aware of that actually believes that we can have an intimate relationship with our Father, God. And to think that there are people who will lay their head in their pillow tonight, who have never heard that Jesus loves them, should drive us to our knees and then to our feet to do something about it. We should be prayerful considering these things as well, but we should also examine, Lord, what, what's my part in the Great Commission? And uh, I'm not gonna get too much into two separate messages, but I just wanna allude to something that we've been sharing a lot with different churches is this. When you consider the price of a soul, Jesus said, I believe it's Mark 8, he said that nothing costs more than your soul. What, what can a man give in exchange for a soul? For nothing is more costly than a soul. So if he valued souls as the highest commodity on the face of the earth, a parking spot in Manhattan for one year is a million dollars. That's substantial. I paid a $4 toll and uh, almost spilled my coffee here. Praise God. You look at the expanse of wealth on the face of the earth, and Jesus looked at all these things, and he said, yeah, nothing is worth more than your soul. 
And then he, he gave us this principle of caring for others more than we actually care for our own desires. We see this in Philippians chapter two, Paul's writing to the church of Philippi, and he says to consider others more significant than you. First time I read that in my Bible, um, I thought I got a Bible on discount because there's no way that that's in there, right? We're the most important people and it's about us. And, and I, I could say that, you know, part, part of my own walk with Jesus Christ was is I have to come to grips with that people who are left lost and lonely, I have to consider them as more significant than myself. And we say that in church, and that means, yeah, okay, yeah, I understand that. But, you know, then somebody cuts you off in traffic or, or something happens, and all of a sudden we feel that rise up, that thing called selfishness. And Jesus said that there's nothing more costly than a soul, and we, we pair that with Philippians 2, that there's we have to consider others as more significant than ourselves. I make that point to say that we should be all in for the gospel of Jesus Christ. All in at all times for all people that all would know who Jesus is. And we stand here today, we sit in this wonderful uh, church, uh, this great uh, uh, town, and it's, it's beautiful what, what God is doing. And my encouragement before we get into the, the scripture here of 2 Kings 6 is this that we would consider, like William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, and he was on his deathbed, and they said, General Booth, what is the most important thing that you can leave this fellowship with? And he gathered all of his lieutenants, all of his captains around, and he got Morse code, and he wrote this message, O-T-H-E-R-S, signed General William Booth. Others is the most important thing that he could leave his fellowship with, and I would say, as the church of the living God, our drive is others. We are others focused. We are all in for others. Amen? If you have your Bibles, you could turn to 2 Kings chapter 6 or, or scroll to 2 Kings chapter 6 or whatever it might be uh, that you have the capacity of reading and receiving the scripture here today. I'm going to pick up reading in verse 8. This is out of the New King James Version. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? So catch the picture what's going on here is that uh, God is speaking to Elisha the prophet about the attacks or the, the strategic placement of the contending armies against his people. And Elisha is then consulting to the king of Israel so that he can uh, strategize. It's, it's a divine, it's really a word of knowledge as to what is going on so then he can appropriately respond and place his troops. And the king of Syria is not too happy about it. Continuing on. In verse 12, 
And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, and there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, I might have been raised in rural Pennsylvania, but I know that two is less than an army. Like me and Alyssa versus an army, two is less than the army. And the man of God says, hey, don't worry. What are, you, what are you getting all afraid of? There's more with us than there are with them. I probably would have turned at that point to prophet Elisha and said, I don't know if you had bad pizza last night. I don't know if you, if you forgot to take your pill this morning. I don't know what's going on, but the elevator ain't going to the top right now when you realize and you say, you make this sweeping statement that there are more with us than with them. Have you seen how many there are? Then Elisha gets even more bold. And he prays. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Open his eyes. His eyes are the problem. What he is seeing is the issue in this situation. And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. See, because it's not, the problem is not that we don't see in the physical, but it's that we need to have the eyes of our spirits enlightened and open to see the truth of who God is and what his word says about him. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. If you catch what's going on here, you'll see that there is a way that things appear with our physical eyes or our natural eyes. And the word of God is calling us out of complacency and into the place of seeing things the way that God sees them. We sang songs uh, around this principle before about, Lord, open my eyes, help me to see. And, and, and when, what we're saying is, is I, I don't want to see with physical eyes. I want to see the way that God sees. See, when we see the way that God sees, we look at a valley of dry bones and we say, that's an army. When we see the way that God sees, we look at the death of the Messiah as the consummation of life for all. See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 17 in particular, part B, it says that God calls things that be not as though they are. Now, let me just put an asterisk here or a cautionary note because so many times people hear 
preaching like this and immediately the, 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 the thought is, is, okay, so I can call anything I want to call and God just has to march to my orders because I want my chocolate donut to be a piece of asparagus. No. Well, you know, somebody, somebody, we're doing a missions gala in, in December and somebody said, I have this dietary concern and this dietary concern. There was like a list of things. They said, will you have anything for me at that uh, dinner? I said, absolutely. It's called ice. And uh, I'm gluten-free, I'm sugar-free, I'm, you know, so no, I'm, I said, no, we'll, we'll make accommodations, we'll, we'll do what we can to, so you can enjoy dinner with everybody else. But it's important that we understand as well that we can stand on anything that's in this book. Not anything that's just our desire, you know. The classic example of someone walking outside and saying, well, I don't want it to be rainy today. Lord, uh, stop the rain. And then there's somebody, a farmer, who's praying, Lord, I, I need this rain for, for my crops. So it, it's understanding the perspective of seeing things the way that God sees them, yes, as long as you're standing on the word of God. So I would say that whatever that you desire in your heart to find scripture that lines up with that. If it's healing, Isaiah 53, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 24. If it's, if it's salvation for your children, wh whatever, whatever that you're contending for, don't contend for amiss, but make sure that we are standing on the word of God and not just our heart's desires. But when we see things that the way that God sees it, it doesn't mean that we have to have a seatbelt on and be all cautionary. What it means is, is to see the impossible, we have to believe the invisible. To see the things that are completely impossible in our flesh, we have to say, I believe that there is a fourth dimension, that there is another realm, that God is causing things, and, and he's actually, he's in that realm, yet he's controlling what we see in this three-dimensional world. We serve a God who is, who is outside of time yet controls time. That one of his tags or one of his titles is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, the one who was and is and is to come and ever shall be. See, he is not unfamiliar with the things that we walk through. There, one of the reasons that he sent Jesus to be who Jesus is was so that he could have a fleshly, uh, there's a bridge that, that we, we don't just serve a God who's a, a power up in heaven, but he came to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. We see things the way that God sees them. You know, God looked at a 100-year-old man and said, you're, you're a father of any nations. Abraham and Sarah were the only people who bought Depends and diapers at the same Walmart checkout line. Praise God. Sorry. But he looks at this guy who's a hundred. Yeah, that's that's a father. Many see faith does not faith does not deny reality. Faith defies reality. Faith faith comes in and it deals with the things that we're walking through. It doesn't ignore it. The cautionary part of this is that faith doesn't ignore our situation. It deals with our situation. That God comes and 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 He works things for our good. But first, we have to see things the way that He sees them. First is two ways to see how God sees. Number one, we have to have a presence perspective. A presence perspective. 
Psalm 16 and verse 11 says that in his presence is fullness of joy. I, I, I echo what was said in Exodus 33 and Exodus 34. That as Moses is up and he's praying on the mountain and he's interceding and, and he's enjoying a time in the presence of God, and he says this, he says, Lord, we don't go unless your presence goes with us. It's, it's, it's the mountaintop perspective or the presence perspective that before that we deal with Monday through Saturday, we have to start on Sunday to get our presence perspective. I was one time I was preaching on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And a man was waiting for me later that day and he said, you know... He said, the way that you preach on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you act like you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit before you do anything. I said, well, I need the baptism in the Holy Spirit before I go to Walmart anymore these days. I mean, we need God more now than we ever have. We need to be walking in his power, his presence, his purposes, and his passion every day of our lives. And this presence perspective says that I believe that when God shows up, that everything has to come under his rule and his authority. See, when, when Jesus shows up is when the storm begins to subside. It's the presence of God, not the absence of problems, that is our hope as the church of the living God. So many times we, we, we cling to, well, well, you know, we're, even ha we're either having a good day or a bad day. And, and let's be honest, there are things that happen that absolutely downright just contest our very identity of who we are in Christ. I, I mentioned this in the early service about my children. Clayton is four, Carson is two. And they are like bottled lightning, right? They do not stop moving. They get this from their mother. I'm convinced of it. And uh, sorry, it's my first lie told today. But they, they, they are all out, right? And they don't sit much. And, and so sometimes towards the end of the day or whatever it might be, when things are done and where we want them to be, we'll, we'll let them watch some TV, some cartoons or whatever it might be. And just turning on the television of regular cartoons, there is an agenda that's pushed even in cartoons for my two-year-old. When I look at these things, when, when, I, when I look at the, the, the outright assault that there is against the church, against my kids, against my family, it ticks me off. It, it, it puts a burr in my saddle. And I see, like you can, how many know, you could do anything against, against me, I, I could take it and keep going. You do something against my kids, and you're poking the bear. And I see these things that are stacked against. How many know, the deck is stacked against us. But the greater truth that we have is found in 1 John 4 that says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. If I begin to focus on these things that are stacked against us, if I begin to focus on the problems and the peril that's in this world, is the moment that I begin to lose the victory that Jesus won for me on the cross. If we're not a people of his presence, then we are a people without victory. If we're not a people who, who are continually walking in the manifest presence of God, this doesn't mean you don't have to be a weirdo and you know, you're carrying a Bible around Walmart that's big enough to choke an elephant. You know, that's not how you have to be. You can be the person who God's called you to be, but you simply carry the presence of God. The same presence, the same presence 
that when they were carrying the God box on a cart disobeying what the Lord had set up, and it began to stumble, and Obed-Edom, who, who held it in his house, and God blessed him, that same presence was now on a cart, and, and it was beginning to get shaky, and it began to slide off the cart, and a man reached out his hand and was struck dead because of the power that's in the presence of God. If I could summarize the last five minutes of what I just said is this. With Scripture, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. When I look to Jesus, his presence, his power, his passion, his purpose, is when I know that unending victory is mine. Contestment comes. Let's be honest, those of us with kids, you're probably contested to come to church this morning. It was probably a fight to get the kids in the car seat and to get them here and you know, try to get them to look decent and things like that. I mean, There is contestment. You live long enough and you'll be contested. It's very normal. But defeat is unbiblical. The contestment was there for Elisha and his servant when they, they survey the hillside and, and, and there's chariots and armies and, and people coming to take them out. And Elisha prays this prayer. See, I, I believe that Elisha, the reason that he could be so bold in his prayer concerning chariots of fire is because if we go back a few chapters, he had an encounter with a chariot of fire when his spiritual father was taken up. See, it's out of him saying, if God did it then, then he can do it now. Revelation chapter 12 says that, and they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I notice so many times when I get in the presence of God, he doesn't remind me of the past in a way to beat me up, but I get reminded of the testimonies. If God did it then, then he could do it now. I remember when my first son was born, my wife and I, we were... We weren't exactly, uh, uh, we were in a different position financially, I could say it that way. And didn't have health insurance, nothing like that. And there's a bill that was attached to him for $43,000. And we're sitting in the, 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 this hospital room, and we, we were not down, not defeated, but we're kind of wondering how that was going to get taken care of. And then in walked the, the doctor and said, the pediatrician will be in and the cardiologist. I said, cardiologist? Walks in and says, sir, ma'am, you uh, gave birth to a baby and he's healthy uh, for the most part, but he does have not one, not two, but three holes in his heart. And our, our hearts sank. On the mission field, looking at each other, and they said, well, where you live, we're actually going to have to fly a cardiologist up from Seattle. He's the top doctor in the nation. And we're not against doctors. But I just, we wanted to stand in faith for our boy. And when they, they began to say, you know, after he's done and his checkup, your son will never serve in the military. You'll have to watch when he plays sports. You'll have to watch, you know, like him being too active and things like that. Now, that's their perspective. That's the way that they saw it. But we wanted to see with eyes of faith. I remember we took him to that appointment. Pediatrician would go over his heart and say, no, oh, they're still there. The holes are still there. Two appointments, same thing. Not getting any better. The third appointment, 
they were quieter than what they usually were. By the fourth appointment, I believe it was, the pediatrician was doing his checkup, scanned his heart, and she didn't say anything. I said, where's those holes that were in his heart? She goes, what holes? What? She goes, your son has no holes in his heart. How many know there's a God that when the, 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 the odds were stacked against my child and the limits were placed on him, Listen, it's, it's, not, it's not that I didn't want my, it's not that, I, you know, well, you know, your son has holes in his heart and, you know, it's the moment that you place limitations on my child when the, the, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Whatever God has for him, he'll be able to accomplish because God did it. Because God did it. The presence perspective changes the way that we see things because we believe that our God is able. Second perspective that we have to have, and I close with this, is that we have to have a purpose perspective. Yes, we have a presence perspective. Time spent in the presence of God, Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of joy. Exodus 33, Exodus 34, it's from that point of the presence, I won't leave unless your presence goes with us. But the second thing is, is that we have to have faith in the purposes of God as well. When that, when that doctor walked in and, and told us the report concerning our child, it wasn't what I wanted to hear. It wasn't the plan of God. It was, uh, it was an attack, an, all, an outright attack on my child. But I believe that every time I share that story with people, that it builds their faith. That what the enemy meant for harm, Genesis 50, verse 20, what the, what the enemy meant for harm, that God actually turned that around, he got glory for it, but then he uses that as a well-worn weapon against the attacks of the enemy. I would say this. My first week on the mission field, it took us $10,000 to move there the first time. Now it's taken us about $57,000 to move there the second time because of we have a family now. I don't want to be breaking down on snowmobiles. I'm going to buy a brand new snowmobile. You know, when you're 140 miles away from town and it's well below zero, it's not exactly where you want to hang out. But I remember we spent everything we had. We got married. One month later, we were on the mission field. And my wife walked in her apartment holding a water bottle. I said, honey, how much was that water bottle? She goes, uh... Four bucks. I said, no. Four dollars? Well, $3.99. I said, with tax or without tax? No, no, no tax on it. Oh, thank God. She goes, why? I said, because we had four dollars in our bank account, and now we have one penny. That's savings and everything. <laughs> you know, God, God knew who to put with me because she didn't break down and cry or anything like that. But I remember that, that one penny was our abundance. God was Jehovah Jireh when we had one penny our first week on the mission field. Now what we're leaving behind, we're, we're homeowners, we own a business, a position in the ministry, things like that, and we're leaving it behind for souls, for others. But I believe that the same Jehovah Jireh who was Jehovah Jireh with my abundance of one penny is Jehovah Jireh today. Because then I saw how God would show up. 
I saw what God would do. I, I remember it wasn't long after that when my dad called me. He said, he said, are you sitting down? I said, sitting down? What do you mean? He goes, I, I have news for you. You need to sit down. I said, okay. So I sat down. He said, you know, such and such is family in the church. Sure. I didn't really have a great, you know, I just, I knew them, but I didn't have deep relationship with them. He said, well, they just, they just got a settlement and they, uh, they want to give you $8,000. And we were $43,000 in debt. We had hardly any, any, you know, significance of uh, finances or anything like that. And I saw God provide in a short period of time because he has a purpose perspective as well. God doesn't, he's not only concerned with today, but he has your whole entire life mapped out in the purposes that he wants to work through you. Ephesians 2 actually tells us that there are things that God has planned works for you to accomplish in your lifetime. You realize that when God made the heavens and the earth and, and the foundations of the earth, and Revelation talks about how the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the earth. But when he was working all these things before he ever created these things, he looked at your life and he looked at my life and he actually charted out things for us to walk in. That means that he has a purpose for stay-at-home moms in their family. He has a purpose for every person who's punching a time clock, for, for people who are in, in the, the business uh, field and, and for people who are doing things. Don't view my wife and I going to Alaska as like, I understand this and this is gonna sound a little bit crazy, but don't view it as a peculiar thing. That's just simply what God asked us to do. Now, we're, we're fortunate that people stand with us and people are believing with us and people are praying with us and things like that. But there are purposes that God has for your life, that he has for your kid's life, that he has for your sibling's life. Let me throw you a real curveball that he has for people's lives who aren't even saved yet. but that God has a plan for your life. Any plan that God has for your life is not a subpar plan. It's a good plan. And there's purpose in every plan that he has for you. I, I think of that story, our text today of 2 Kings chapter 6. How Elisha already considered it done. But imagine being his servant who you go from being fearful, you go from seeing this scene, this onslaught, this attack, coming to take you out, coming to take, in today's perspective, coming to take your boss out. In a moment's time, you catch the vision of God. And it becomes for you in that time where you see the hand of God in that situation. Proverbs 29 it says that where there is no vision, the people perish. When we don't have, uh, the ESV says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. It's in this lack of godly vision is when things go awry. Our prayer should be this. Lord, help me to see with heaven's eyes. First time I was ever in an airplane, we were flying to Phoenix, Arizona, for Tommy Barnett's pastor's conference, my dad would take one of us boys out every year. 
And so my, my turn was up. I was in sixth grade, and we got into an airplane. And I remember I was sitting next to him on the plane, and as we started to take off, I said, Dad, I said, everything looks so small up here. I said, everything moves so slow. I said, are people really going that slow on 81? I mean, I know it's a parking garage at times, but is it really, is it really that bad? He said, no, no. He said, the higher you go, the smaller everything looks and the slower everything is. And it clicked with me. Think of how high God is. He looks at the things that we see. With heaven's perspective, it's not that it's not a big deal, but it's not a big deal. Like the one who created life with his breath is your father. The one who spoke and the cosmos had to come together and form calls you his friend. And not only that, but he steps in and assigns purpose to your life and to my life. He assigns destiny to our children. And he's not just a great father, but he's a great friend. My wife and I, we leave January, it's looking like January 6th to go to Nome, Alaska. And uh, we just thank you for every person who's standing with us and believing God's best with us. I would say this, financial support is very important. Beyond financial support, the most important thing that we're raising as we go to church to church and things like that is we're raising prayer support. We're raising an army of people who are standing with us. And I think of people in New York, Pennsylvania, now Maryland, Ohio, different places, Massachusetts, who are standing with us and believing God that these are the greatest days to be alive, but that we're gonna see God's goodness in the land of living. Amen? Would you guys pray with us and would you guys uh, continue to believe God's best for us? I'm gonna invite Pastor Paul, Uncle Paul, back up. And thank you so much for receiving us today and for praying for us and opening your hearts to us. Thank you so much, Uncle Paul and the Grace family. God bless you guys. I'll take that kind of being an uncle. God's good, isn't he? Praise his name. And uh, we're going to, uh, as the band comes, I'm going to have the prayer teams come. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, give to this ministry. A um, hundred plus villages with no gospel witness. Four times the national suicide rate. Domestic violence, abuse, drug and alcohol addiction. All of these things are because there's no more sure word of the Lord. God's word says how lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news. Speak life into a situation where death, death seems to be the best option for so many. End it all. I don't believe that they want to end, really want to end life, but I believe they want to end life as they know it because there's not been given any other option. So this morning we're going to ask you to help to give at the, um, at the end, Kyle and...
Melissa will be out in the lobby. Uh, there's a pledge card if you'd like to do something monthly. But also this morning, right now, you can give online or there's a bucket on this exit over here and there, over there. And all you do, make it out to Grace Assembly of God and then put either Alaska or Kyle. Alaska or Kyle in the memo. And they'll get that. And we want to help you. I can't imagine living in a place where there's no roads in and no roads out. I can't imagine what it's like to uh, provide to go to the grocery store to get meat when you have to ride 100 to 140 miles to shoot the caribou. I can't imagine what that's about. No cell phone, no nothing. And uh, so we want to help you this morning. Chris and I will help. I'll uh, we'll talk about what we're going to do. And the Lord is so good, isn't he? God is so good. We just thank the Lord. Praise God. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Uh, first of all, I want you to reach your hands out to Kyle and Alyssa on the Legion Prayer. And then as the band begins to play this morning after, they believe, after this prayer, if you need a touch from God this morning, if you want to see things like God sees things, if you're here and you want to turn your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved you, gave his life for you, the one that you could transfer into his kingdom and his, his plan, his life, where you can live differently, you can see differently than all your friends or maybe even what your family see. Today is your day. We're going to ask you, you come. Someone will pray with you. The Bible says that we are called to bear one another's burdens, and that's, that's what we do. Praise his name. Praise the Lord. Praise God. So first, let's pray for Kyle and Alyssa Dross their boys. Father, in Jesus' name, we're so grateful for the privilege that we have and the position that we can go and we can send. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so, send I you. We know that word send in just the Old Testament alone is mentioned over 800 times because God you are a sending God. We stand here this morning redeemed because you sent Jesus and he obeyed and he said, I'm willing to go. I pray, Lord, for your provision. I pray for your protection. I pray, Lord, for open doors. Most of all, Lord, I pray that whatever is accomplished will be to the glory of God and they will be able to bring many sons to glory because of what you've done. I thank you, Lord, that when he goes to these towns and villages, when they go as a family, and it is expensive, there's no way to get there. There's no roads. Airplane ride is six or $700 just to go a couple hundred miles. And to do this week after week after week after week, Lord. But the task is great, but you are greater. You are greater, and we thank you for it. I thank you this morning for young men and women who see with the eyes of faith. Because of that, people will be introduced to the living faith of a living and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. We commend them to you now, Lord. We want to help them. In Jesus' strong name I pray. Amen. Praise God.